All right. <clears throat> I guess it's me this morning. Um, they didn't tell me that they weren't going to be here. They, they asked me if I would preach today, and uh, I said I could. By the way, my name is Norman Dunlap, and I'm not a pastor at all around here. Uh, I can't claim any of that. Uh, Ed texted me this morning and thanked me for letting him have the day off so him and Susan could be at a pastor and wives conference. So now I know where they are. <laughs> Richard did not text me. I have no clue <laughs> where he is or why he's not here. Maybe it's Valentine's and he's uh, celebrating this weekend. But anyway, we're here and God's here and uh, we'll try to go from there. Uh, you should know that um, Ed is, and Richard are preaching on the book of Acts, and they're in chapter 9. And Ed has a two-part sermon. He started one part of it last week. And uh, this would be the second part, except he didn't want me to preach the last part of his sermon. So he told me to do something else. <laughs> so we'll do something else, but we are going to look at Acts uh, chapter 9, and uh, right where Ed's going to be next week is verses 36 uh, through the rest of the chapter, and uh, what that basically says, especially the part we're going to talk about this morning, so we don't depart completely from the book of Acts, um, it talks about Dorcas or Tabitha, and uh, he'll tell you more about all that next week. But here's what it says about Dorcas. It says, Dorcas was a disciple full of good works and generous. That ought not to surprise you because it's natural. If you're a disciple, it doesn't even have to be said. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're going to have good works and you're going to be generous. That's a bullet point, by the way, if you got one of these and you write things down. Disciples are known for being full of good works and generosity. And she was. Disciples are. First John uh, chapter 3. In verse 16, that I'll remind you of John 3.16, but 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, John, the disciple, is, himself is trying to uh, let us know how we can know that we are a disciple of Jesus. And he says, one way you know is that you lay down your lives for others. And it says, if you have this world's goods... And you see a brother in need, let you close, yet you close your heart. And I add, or your eyes, or your wallet. How does that mesh with John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is a generous God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 
In verse 13, he says that we are to be the salt of the earth. And then the verses following that, he says that his disciples should be uh, the light of the world. And in both of those, Jesus is saying that, that our good works and our generosity is seen by the world and that God gets the glory. It's, it's not just talk, but it's our walk, it's our good works. And the Bible even says that God gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to his followers, so that they can be like Jesus. And Jesus is generous. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life barely. Is that what he said? What did he say? Abundantly. 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all, all grace abound to you. So that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times... You may abound in every good work. Isaiah 55, 7, our God will abundantly pardon. He doesn't just pardon, he abundantly pardons. We have a God who is generous and abundant. That's why his disciples, who are the salt and light that reflect him to the world has to be full of good works and generous. So that raises the question that comes out of the Old Testament, almost made the New Testament because it's, it's uh, Malachi, which is one page away from being in the New Testament. <clears throat> and uh, Malachi chapter 3, uh, let me read you. is it on the board? We got some things. Put Malachi up there if you got it on there somewhere. Um, <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3. We'll start reading at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing him. But you say, how? How have we robbed you, God? And he says, in your tithes, and your offerings. And therefore you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole bunch of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So Malachi's question is before us. Will a man rob God? Well, God says, yes, we do. And he even answers how we try to do that. We do that with our tithes and our offerings. When I read that, the first thought I think is, why would a man rob God? especially a God who is generous 
who always deals with us in abundance. Which means God would give it to you if you ask him for it. You don't have to steal it from him. But the other part of that is if you succeed in robbing God, you're left with a God that you can cheat. Anybody want a God you could cheat? When you really need God, so I got one. Ain't too bright. You can pull one over on him. But we got a God. So Malachi principle tells us that the Bible teaches that it was God's idea that man should give and be generous. That man does not give to get, but we get to give. That's a bullet point, I think, maybe. No, it's not. This is a bullet point. We have a covenant relationship with God. That is it. We are in a covenant relationship with God. So what that means is that we have a contract with God that that God, the party of the first part, will do and provide a covering, an umbrella over man if man, who is the party of the second part, will obey and do as he's instructed. You remember in uh, the Exodus from Egypt, for 40 years as they were traveling through the desert that God covered the Israelites and protected them by day with a cloud over them which kept them safe from the sun and elements. And then by night a fire, moonlight over them to keep them safe. And Malachi calls our attention that when we're in a contract relationship, then man of the second part is to bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And then God, the part of the first part, will bless them generously, abundantly, so much that they will be overwhelmed. God challenges man to keep their part of the contract, to try him and see if he does not keep his part. The full tithe is 10%. Um, <clears throat> the party of the second part is to acknowledge who God is and that God is their source. So at the harvest time, when they had a feast, of the first fruit, it's, it's laid out to them in Leviticus. You can read it for yourself. The instructions there are so as, as plain as they were to Noah when he built the ark. So what's true in agriculture back then with an animal or a fruit, a plant, is true now for us um, Wealth of any means. 31 times in the Bible we're told, like in Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth 
and with the best part of everything you produce. So the contract calls for that. The party of the first part requires the party of the second part, first of all, to pay rent. 10% of everything we receive in whatever manner we receive it goes to the Lord to pay rent. You live in his world, don't you? You breathe his air. You enjoy his sunshine and his scenery. You got to pay for that. We, we, we recognize he's the source of all of that. And we're required by contract to bring him 10% to recognize that he's our source. And you do that regularly. You get paid weekly, you give weekly. That's W-E-A-K, not, not W-E-A-K, it's W-E-E-K. Most of us have got it weekly, but that's, that's not what God says. So we, we're, we're, the part of the first part is to give 10% off the top. And then we, we give him an offering. Now, there's no percentage, the Bible says, about the offering. The offering's a tip for services rendered. You go to the restaurant, somebody waits on you, you tip them according to how good they are at waiting on you, right? So today we say 15% at least, more if they're really good. But how good is God to you? But how, how do you measure God's taking care of us, waiting on us, how, how well he does that? But we give him an offering besides the tithe uh, because he deserves that. So Malachi says that man robs God by cheating him, by not giving him the 10%, not paying rent, and then giving him a tip. Now, just let me say to you here that in, in Mark chapter 12 and verses 41 and 42, the Scripture says that Jesus sat near the treasurer at worship, and he saw the widow put in a mite which was not much money, but it was all she had. And when you give on a percentage basis, she gave 100%. But what I want you to see there is that, that Jesus commented on that and said, this lady has given all she had, which means that Jesus is watching the offering plate. He knows what you're giving. You can write a check. You can put it in an envelope. You can do it on pen pal or PayPal or Zenmo. Or, it don't matter. He's going to know. He's going to know. You know, the question is, if we owe God 10%, Tithe, 
What if God took, takes what you give to him, multiplies it by 10, and sets that as your salary for the coming year? Is that going to ouch? That's what the scripture says. So, here's what Malachi is dealing with. That Jesus knows, and when we cheat and break the covenant, we're no longer under his umbrella. We trade blessings for curses. So you, you attempt to cheat God by not giving him the full tithe and an offering. So what you get is curses instead of blessing. And then on the other hand, you can't really cheat God. Let me give you a, this is my own parable based on a true story. An insurance agent uh, did not love God and honor God with his tithes and offerings. And one day his wife called in a tizzy because the, the Wi-Fi was down. The kids couldn't do homework. You couldn't watch TV. It's a mess. What do you do if your Wi-Fi is down? Something had to be done. So he called a geek and had the geek go to his house and get them back online. And when the geek got them back online, he charged the insurance man what he would have given God, plus an offering, plus some for the geek to boot. And the geek didn't honor God with tithes and offerings, so one day his van broke down. He had to take his van to a mechanic. When the mechanic got through with the geek's van, he had the insurance man's tithe and offering. He had the geek's tithe and offering and money to boot. The mechanic didn't honor God. So one day a wrench slipped and hit him in the teeth. He broke off a couple of teeth. He had to go to the dentist. When the dentist got through with the mechanic, he had the insurance man's tithe and offering. He had the geek's tithe and offering. He had the, den uh, the uh, mechanic's tithe and offering and money to boot. Now, the dentist honored God, and he gave God 10% of the insurance man, the geek, and the mechanic's money and an offering, and God opened the windows of heaven and blessed the dentist. Duh. You didn't cheat God. He got it. You cheated yourself. You took yourself out of the... Equation. You don't even factor God in when you 
don't do, don't keep the contract. Do you understand that? If you don't keep your part of the contract, God has no, there's no reason for him to keep an umbrella protection over you. You lose that. You don't cheat God, you cheat yourself. Cheat yourself of an abundant God. You don't really cheat him. The party of the second part obeys. Then God will fill your barns with grain. Your vats will overflow with good wine. That's the Malachi principle. I said it in a heartbeat. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is an interesting verse or chapter. Have you all ever paid any attention to Deuteronomy? Well, you ought to sometime. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 uh, is in... Uh, Above the chapter, it says, blessings for obedience. There are, well, let's just do this. Here's how it starts out. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall... Well, th that's the first two verses, okay? says what he'll do. Now, from verse 3 through verse uh, 14... It, it lists the blessings. So I'm not a mathematician, but three from 14. That's about 11 verses of blessings that God promises if you obey. Now, there are 66 verses in the chapter. Verse 15, above that it says, curses for disobedience. Blessings for obedience is in the first 14 verses. Curses for disobedience are in the rest of the chapter. That's like 54 verses. 54 Verses of curses if you break the covenant and God is no longer obligated to keep his part. See, we never cheat God. We cheat ourselves. We cheat ourselves of his power, of his presence, of his blessing, of his covering over us. Now, I, I'm an old man, and I've been around a long time, and I can, I can tell you lots of stories of how all that works. 
I can tell you about one young couple that I was their pastor and they came to me in September and said, uh, I've heard you preach and teach and we know what you say about being a, a disciple and, and being generous and we never have tithe he said every time we come to church I put a $20 bill in the offering they were there those most Sundays so that meant $80 a month or so they were given to the church <clears throat> and he said we just want to talk about that because we're considering tithing and we just want to ask questions and talk, and they did. And I explained to them that it had absolutely nothing to do about money. It had everything to do about being under in the contract relationship with God. And it had everything to do with faith. God doesn't need your money. You need faith in God. You need God factored in to your relationship with him and so we talked about that and, and they left they didn't say what they were going to do they just left I don't normally do this but I asked the person who would be Lorna in this place uh, that after the first of the year to let me know if their giving changed so early in January they told me that he put a check in there that month for $325 first Sunday of the month. Well, they usually give $20 when they're there. Looked like they had made a change in their giving. So I assumed that was a tithe. And then February, 1st of February, they said there was another check in there for $325. And all year long, that was the first of the month, there was a check for 325 About September again, they came to see me. And they said, well, I don't know if you know it or not, but after we talked last year, we decided we were going to tithe this year, and we've been giving regularly every month to tithe. And it ain't worked. We have run through our savings. And they had had a bad year. Kids had been sick. All kinds of things had happened. And he said, I've got to pay my property taxes in December. And the only way I can figure out how I can pay my property tax in December is I'm going to have to keep my October, November, December tithe and offering and pay my taxes. Because the savings are gone. And I said, okay, but do you remember what I told you last September? It wasn't about money. It was about faith. So up to now, you've had a savings. Now it's where the rubber hits the road. You really, you really trust God? Or not? Do you believe he's a covenant-keeping God? 
or not? You want to be under his umbrella or not? He didn't say what they were going to do. So again, I asked Lorna of that church to let me know if things had changed. <clears throat> and she said, no, no, there was a check in there in October for 325 and November and December. So he tithes. But then she said, the third week in December, there's a check in there for $350. I said, well, that's interesting. I never said anything. He never said anything. So about February, I went to Ronnie's office. And I said, Ronnie, last time we really sat down and talked, it was last September, and tithing wasn't working, and you didn't know how you were going to pay your property taxes unless you used your tithe money. How did that, that work out? He said, I didn't even tell my wife. We, we decided, we prayed about it, we talked about it. We decided we're not going to tithe. We're going to use that money to pay taxes. Went to bed on Saturday night and couldn't sleep, so I got up in October and I wrote a tithe check to the church. Didn't even tell my wife. I just gave it. I did that in November. I did that in December. Without her knowledge, even. <clears throat> and I said, where's well, your taxes going paid? Oh, he said, no. He said, um, in fact, I got a $3,500 bonus at the end of November. That's what the three fifty dollars was for. And then he began to weep. And he said, besides that, I've been promoted, and my salary this year is $10,000, more than it was last year. And then he said, you know what I think, what I believe? He said, I believe I came this close to keeping $975. And losing thirteen thousand. That's what I believe. That's what that's what Malachi principle is. You can cheat yourself, or you can trust God. Now, I've been around long enough that church churches, leaders of churches, have to have some idea of how much money they're going to have per year because they have to pay salaries and lights and whatever. So we talk about giving units. If a church has 100 giving units, I'm making this simple, okay? There's 100 giving units, and they average $2,000 a year per unit, then the church is going to get $200,000 during the year. That's what you can figure on. So church leaders will say, 
we got to fix our budget on $200,000. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is you left God out of that all the way. If people can do 200000 we ought to trust God for 200000 I can tell you I've been around long enough that I'm more sure God will bring his 200000 than you are to bring yours, I can tell you that. <laughs> Churches don't even factor God in. We're faithless. We don't try him. A generous, abundant God says, try me. And see if I want to open up windows and pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot withstand. And that don't mean it's just money. It means we learn to trust him. What's faith in God that's real? What's that worth? I wouldn't give up my faith in God for millions, I can tell you that. God keeps his part. I've told people for years, if you trust God with all your heart and he lets you down, the book will sell. You hear me? The book will sell. You'll be a New York bestseller list forever if you could document that God not kept his promise. It's the worst that happened to you as your best-selling author. God keeps his promise. That's what Malachi wants us to know, that he keeps his promise. And I can tell you more stories than just what I told you about that. I can tell you about, oh, I don't know, 30-some years ago, I started challenging people because you have to learn to be a disciple. You, we start out as babes. You know that, don't you? So maybe you don't give 10% right now. But you're growing, so you're trying to get it up. So I challenge people to whatever they were giving right now, increase that 1%. And do that regularly for six months. And if after six months God doesn't add 1% to you, so you haven't lost anything. Send me a bill. I'll reimburse you myself. I'll still do that for you. I believe God. I don't want to. In 30 years, I've had a lot of people take that challenge. Nobody's ever sent me a bill. I got some letters, though, of how God has blessed them. But they never asked me to pay a bill. Maybe this morning you just... Need to add 1%. One couple, both gone now, but they'd see me and they'd say, do you remember how long it's been since you challenged us to increase 1%? And I said, no, they would say 19 years. Because we were given 10%, then we're given 29% now. And it God keeps his promise. And he wants to keep his promise. Now, the next bullet point in there is that God's umbrella includes 
It includes um, a network. God has a network. Leviticus and Malachi remind us, let God work for you. He's the best realtor known to man. He can sell a house and nobody buy them. And he doesn't even charge. God is the only one who controls the domino effect. Just because one fell over, they don't all have to fall over. It is God who puts the puzzle pieces together. And we rob ourselves of God when we opt out of his covering. Let me see if I can explain that to you. This has nothing to do with financial gain. You're not going to make more money if you're under his covering. But he has a network. There's a man, a friend of mine, who <clears throat> had a stroke several years ago. And once a month, or well, not that, once every couple months, he still has trouble with his right side. So I pick him up and take him to lunch. Just get him out of the house. Last December, I called him and said, we usually go on a Tuesday. I said, can you go to lunch this Tuesday? He said, yes. I said, all right, we'll go. Well, Tuesday morning, it was cold, cold and raining. The coldest day, I think, and the worst day we had in all of December. So I, I called him and I said, you know, I still don't go today. Normally, I, that's my day I can go, but I said, I'm off tomorrow, so I don't have anything at lunch tomorrow, so let's make it tomorrow. He said, that'd be better. So instead of a Tuesday, we went to lunch on Wednesday. Now, when we, I got up on Wednesday morning, our house was really cold. So sometime in the night, our heating system had quit. And the house was cold. I called a friend of mine who's an electrician. He said, I'll come by at 11 o'clock and see if it's an electrical thing or not. So I left Sharon at home in the old house, and I went to eat lunch uh, with my friend. And we were eating lunch when Sharon called me and said, our friend came by and said it wasn't electrical, so he can't fix the heating system. So the house ain't going to warm up anytime soon. This was Wednesday before Christmas. The guy I took to lunch said, is something wrong? I said, uh, yes. I said, my heating system didn't work. This morning. And he just called his wife who works for a heating company. It said, Norman needs heat. By 3 o'clock, it's fixed. You think that's accidental? You see that same guy? We had taken him to lunch in July, and James Warren was with me. And this is, this is far-fetched now. But James asked me about my brother-in-law, how he's doing who's 95 and retired from Frigidaire. That's what James asked me. This guy with the stroke said, don't talk about refrigerators. We don't talk about refrigerators. James asked me how my brother-in-law used to work for Frigidaire work. He said, don't say anything bad about refrigerators. 
my wife and I bought a Sears refrigerator before we got married. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary and we're still using that refrigerator. That just come off the wall. The next day, I ran into a guy who said, Norman, I need help. I said, what you need? He said, well, my sister had to put her in assisted living and we're getting rid of the stuff in her house and that moving her and I had two guys in the truck to come to move her and give stuff away to get the house empty so we can sell it. And, and uh, assisted living changed the date and now two men in the truck can't do it and I gotta have somebody to move the stuff. I said, okay, we'll do that. Well, I called Ed, and M2540 got the stuff that she didn't need. We moved her stuff. But one of the things that was in the house was an almost new side-by-side refrigerator. You know where that is now? It's in the house that had a 50-year-old refrigerator. M2540 got a lot of stuff to give away. And Richard, who's a corporate chaplain, knows and is a chaplain for the company that fixed my air conditioning system. I think David's on the board of the company that owns it. You see what I'm saying? God puts... When the guy fixed my furnace that afternoon, he said... I'm going home. I'm not working anymore till Monday. It's Christmas. He saved me four nights in a motel and an angry wife. You know what that's worth? I don't know. <laughs> What's that worth? Do you understand? You don't want to be out from under God's umbrella. The sun will burn you. The wolves will get you at night. Don't want to, you don't want to cheat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're a disciple and don't have good works. I think you're a disciple. And don't have good works and not generous. You're really not a disciple. You need to search that. Maybe you just need to step up and Start believing in God. You've talked it, now you need to walk it. Lay it on the line. Do what he says. Maybe you need to write a check right now. Make a pledge. Make faith pledges. I love for people to make a pledge and say, I'll give $10,000 to the building fund at Church on the Trail over the next two years. And there's no way I could pay that unless God comes through. Because I want to see you and talk to you when God comes through. Just grow your faith. Honor God. Get under his umbrella. I don't know how we need to respond this morning. But I know God has challenged us. And I know God's a faithful God.
And I know his disciples are known for their good works and generosity. I know we're in a covenant relationship with a generous God. And I know God has an umbrella. Now you can buy insurance. You can buy insurance for car shield. You can buy it for your house, don't burn down. You can buy it for your life. You can buy it for your health. Let me tell you, the cheapest, cheapest way to get by in this world is to honor God. Honor God. I've heard a lot of people say, we had a storm and it took me forever to get State Farm and put a roof back on my house. Nobody ever says God didn't do what he said he did. Nobody says that. Father, we thank you this morning that you're a covenant-keeping God. It's the party of the second part. That's not doing what we should do. Lord, this morning, may the party of the second part be step up and be the disciples that we ought to be. In Jesus' name, amen.